0: Hello, you're listening to a Medieval Madness podcast. To see the accompanying visuals, please check out our YouTube channel. Cheers. Let's be honest, daily life for a medieval serf in England and many other European countries wasn't much fun. The feudal system meant that peasants were bound by law to work for the nobility, who owned the land that they lived on. The outside working day started at dawn which meant that during the summer months it could be as early as 3am and it didn't end until dusk. Work in the fields was backbreaking and included reaping, sowing, ploughing and haymaking depending on the time of year. As well as helping her husband with the farming, women were also responsible for the preparation of all meals. They took care of any children and livestock such as chickens and tended the vegetable plot as well as foraging for berries and herbs. Weaving, spinning and the mending of clothes were also part of a woman's work, and children were also expected to join in. When all was done, there was very little time for leisure activities given their work schedules, but medieval peasants would grab some fun whenever they could. The youngest children would have played with dolls or puppets which would have been made from clay, rags or whittled from wood by adults or even created by the youngsters themselves. Older children could make a game of chores such as chasing birds away from the crops, or they might play board games like al an early version of draughts, in their free time. Festivals were religious in nature, they were held to celebrate a saint or a Christian holy day. During the Middle Ages, there was at least one festival each month, and that was all the excuse that medieval folk needed to let their hair down and enjoy a bit of dancing and merrymaking. Let's travel back in time and have a look at what medieval peasants did for fun. Welcome to Medieval Madness. Easter Eggs. At Easter, after 40 days of fasting and, let's face it, eating basically nothing but fish, it was party time. During Holy Week, the three days before Easter were a solemn occasion, and usually spent at church. Easter Sunday prayers began at dawn, but the service was joyful and meant that the celebrations could begin. New clothing might be given by the lords to their vassals in celebration of the resurrection. Any eggs that had been laid during the Lenten period were hard-boiled with onions to preserve them and give them a golden lustre. The eggs were then hidden by the adults for the children to find. The game was didactic and taught an important religious lesson as it represented the disciples finding the resurrected Christ at his tomb at Easter. Then came the fun part when the children competed in egg races by rolling them down the nearest hill. On the following day, known as Hock Monday, the young women of a village would go around kidnapping young men and holding them for ransom. Only when a donation had been made to the church would the youth, who was probably complicit in the game anyway, be released. On Hock Tuesday, which was a day later, the roles were reversed. Apparently both King Edward I of England and later his son Edward II were both found in bed, literally with their pants down, by their Queen's ladies-in-waiting on Hock Monday. Beer parties. The church was the heart of every community. Parish ale parties were always a welcome festivity and usually held in a barn nearby or in the churchyard itself. It was essentially about raising funds for the church as well as eating, drinking and having a good time in general. Different types of ale were brewed depending on the occasion, such as lamb ale, brewed for the feast of a lamb shearing, or Whitson ale, made at whitsuntide. For a wedding feast, money would be raised for the couple with the bride ale, which is where the word bridal is derived from. In fact, a peasant wedding was always an excuse for the whole community to come together and party. Up until the late medieval period, a couple could simply declare themselves married without the need for a church ceremony. After having a good wash and putting on their cleanest clothing, they would declare themselves wed in front of friends and family and then the feasting could begin. All those attending would bring food to help feed everyone and drink the special bridal ale. Then the couple would retire to bed and the villagers would entertain themselves by singing lewd songs and shouting rude instructions from outside the couple's bedroom. Some marriage celebrations would go on for days with lots of drinking, eating, singing and folk dancing. Country folk dancing was common in towns and villages and usually involved lively music and lots of energetic kicking, skipping and leaping about such as the jig, which was popular in Ireland and Scotland. In England, Morris dancing was introduced from the mid-15th century and remains unchanged to this day. The group of dancers usually wear bells tied around their shins and carry sticks, swords or handkerchiefs which they would clap together in time to the rhythmic dance. Travelling musicians, dancers, acrobats and jesters would often entertain at festivals, whilst some villagers would sing and play musical instruments themselves. Storytelling was popular and was also an important way of passing down myths and legends. Travelling storytellers delivered news from village to village and would often recite poetry or tell saucy stories for the price of a meal and lodgings. Sadly, this cruel pastime was extremely popular across Europe throughout the Middle Ages. It usually took place in larger towns, so peasants would often walk several miles just to see a fight. Baying crowds would watch a day's specially built pit, as a chained bear fought with vicious dogs until the inevitable death of one or the other. Blood sports such as cockfighting were also popular in most villages. Bringing in the May This was a great event in the calendar of village life. The maypole itself was essentially a phallic symbol, and its origins go back to pagan times when trees represented fertility. The start of May was an important date for Druids, Wiccans and Romans, who all celebrated the coming of spring. For the Druids, the festival of Beltane was celebrated with the lighting of fires. Wiccans chose a May Queen and danced around the maypole, and the Romans worshipped the goddess Flora at the festival of Floralia. Over time, these celebrations merged together, culminating in the maypole dancing that we can still witness today. Great care was taken when finding the right tree to make the maypole. Some villagers would compete against one another to find the tallest. The bark was removed and the pole would usually be erected at the centre of the village. It was then adorned with fresh garlands of flowers and streamers of ribbons that were held by the girls who danced in a circle around it. The oldest girls on the outside and the youngest on the inside of the circle intertwining the ribbons as they danced. The ritual was an important event in the social calendar for any medieval village. Back in the day before you could swipe right on the love of your life, another way to find them was by bobbing for apples. This was popular across Europe, eventually just becoming a generic party game rather than a form of matchmaking. Each apple was given the name of a boy from the village, and then placed in a bucket or barrel of water. The girls then had three chances to take out the apple of the boy they fancied the most by just using their mouth with their hands tied behind their backs. Midsummer Madness At the Midsummer Festival in June, on the longest day of the year, bonfires would be lit, and there would be mummer plays in the mid and late medieval period as amateur troops of actors would perform plays based on stories from the Bible or the Festival of Fire, which relived the legend of St. George and the Dragon. Sometimes the actors would enlist the help of a peasant to star in their miracle and mystery play. During these festivals, various types of sports would be played such as wrestling, archery, hockey and football. Early versions of football were a violent and chaotic affair where mobs of men would try to capture the ball and take it to their village. Games could last all day, and there were often broken limbs and sometimes even a death or two. Jousting was popular, but peasants weren't even allowed to watch this pastime, let alone take part. So they made up their own game of water jousting. It consisted of two teams in rowing boats, each team would have one man armed with a pole. As the boats were rowed near to one another, the Jousters would try and knock their opponent into the water. It poked fun at the pretentiousness of their masters and their strict rules, as well as being a lot of fun. You've got to know when to walk away. And of course, where there is competitive sport, there is always gambling. Despite having only paltry amounts of money, peasant men would still risk their last coin on a wager. They would often gamble at dice games too, in spite of it being illegal. King Richard I of England banned gambling for anyone in a class lower than a knight in the 12th century, a law that was practically impossible to enforce in the small villages across the realm and so gambling was widespread, especially when ale was involved. In the 12th and 13th centuries, there were more likely to be inns where innkeepers would act as bankers, holding onto a gambler's possessions in exchange for money. Many poor men became even poorer as they lost everything this way, even their clothes. Dice were made out of antlers, bone, wood, or even stone. Popular dice games included Zara, Raffle, and Hazard. The Vikings also played a dice game known as Mia, which was similar to the modern game of Yahtzee. They played an indoor board game known as Tafel, comparable to chess but during the summer they would enjoy outdoor sports, often competing in contests of speed and strength to stay fit and strong and build camaraderie. Winter Wonderland Many peasants died during the winter months. Both housing and clothing were of a poor quality, and the cold weather made life quite unbearable. But fun activities could still be found in Northern Europe. Serfs could head to their nearest frozen pond or river and skate. Made from leather and animal bone, their skates were primitive but perfectly functional. Competitive games were enjoyed such as racing or who could make the best figure of eight. Christmas was a highlight in the medieval calendar. Peasants were given two weeks off to celebrate the 12 days of Christmas, making it one of the longest festivals in the year. The 40 days before, known as Advent, were a period of fasting and prayer. Now the mummers would be back with their nativity play, as well as plenty of singing and dancing. It might be the only time that peasants could eat meat at all, as any domesticated animals were slaughtered. They couldn't be kept until the spring, as they were too expensive to feed anyway. Some lords might even give his serfs ale, food and fuel as a present on Christmas day. So it would seem that very little has changed and that we still have a lot in common with our medieval ancestors, from our passion for sport, our love of drinking and eating, and our enjoyment of music and dancing. Thank you so much for watching this episode of Medieval Madness. I do hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you in the next episode. Cheers!